I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is not only Dan Lyons, but also news magician, basketball editor, James Zuba. How's it going, guys? Doing well. Happy uh, Thanksgiving week, everyone. Pleasure to be on. Uh, first time in a year, I think it's been, so uh, good <laughs> to be back on and looking forward to talking some hoops here. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving week, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll cut the usual Mets small talk and NBA free agency uh, chatter because we do have uh, quite a bit to attend to this week. On top of our usual, um, you know, recapping a terrible Syracuse football game and looking forward to another, uh, we also have men's basketball season about to start. Uh, so we brought in James to kind of uh, give us a lay of the land. Not like Dan and I don't know the team, but obviously, um, you know, James being in the weeds um, to the extent he is um, on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. Um, definitely the, the type of expert that, that we want to have in the door. Um, so I guess, James, right off the bat, um, it seems like we're having the, the, the Bryant game to start. Um, how confident are you that this schedule goes off um, as planned, at least to as much as, as, as possible? Well, it's, it's already been a bumpy road to start, obviously, with, with Jim Beheim and a number, another member of the team testing positive over a week ago. Uh, so it's already off to a rocky start. They do plan to host Bryant as scheduled. That game is expected to go off. Uh, no issues as of right now on, on the Bryant side. And uh, we got a little bit of a notice earlier today saying that, you know, Jim, Be- Jim Beheim had gone through the 10 day quarantine and he's now exited isolation and no positive tests have occurred since uh, the, the initial positive or the second positive, I should say. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there will be some, some bumps along the way. I mean, we've seen it across the country or, you know, over 30 programs have uh, paused activities and, uh, you know, just recently Baylor Scott Drew has tested positive as well. So uh, I just think with cases going, you know, rising across the country as they are, it's it's to be expected. And, you know, we can get into the discussion of whether it's ethical or not. But um, I, I would expect there to be some some bumps along the way here. Yeah, Dan, I know you and I talked about just kind of what exactly people were thinking with the travel schedule and, and, and cram schedule and cram just everything um, this year. Given that like Duke's already canceled uh, the first game and, and, and there's bound to be more, um, w- w- what would be your over-under on how many non-conference games actually happen for Syracuse? Oh, I mean, I can't even venture to guess, honestly. it's We're in such like such unprecedented territory. And like, obviously that's just a, a thing that we say about everything now. Um, I guess like the upshot for Syracuse is like, of all the teams, it seems like we've at least done something right in terms of football. Like we've had so many cancellations across football and somehow Syracuse in all of their might and glory this year have managed to play every game. 
Um, so I don't know if that'll translate to basketball. Obviously, we have Bayheim coming down with COVID. We've had a, another unnamed player. Um, but the bigger concern, uh, I mean, it's, it, it, it takes two to play, obviously. And uh, it just seems like college basketball, um, for whatever reason, you'd think that with like smaller teams and smaller rosters, it'd be a little easier to have a, a handle on. But it seems like it's been just as bad. Um, I mean, we only have a handful of these non-conference teams scheduled to begin with. Um, so I mean, I think we'll play a couple, but it's, it's so hard to know, like, uh, because there's so many moving parts, um, what's even reasonable. Um, like maybe that Rutgers game goes off because it's, uh, because it's, you know, I think students will probably be off gone from both campuses by then. Maybe the same thing with Buffalo. And maybe that, that's like the one key to this that like helps get through like the, the early part of the schedule here, uh, with the Boston college game, the Notre Dame game. Um, is that you won't have these full campuses, which drive up uh, concerns. But uh, it's it just seems like it was such a haphazard way to put this whole sport together this year, which we talked about at length last week. And um, it's very frustrating. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, we have, what, three on the schedule right now. Maybe we add another. Maybe we get four in. But um, it's just crazy that, like, no one seems to have a definite plan for for what's what's going on moving forward and then you have like the the added frustrations from people like rick patina who of all people um has been hammering home like let's just push this stuff back we have a vaccine on the way um we probably shouldn't be in a position where the vaccine goes to college basketball players first but it wouldn't surprise me if something stupid like that happened um but in any case like just like there's, there's nothing saying we have to have the tournament in march let's push stuff back a couple months and see where we're at and that doesn't seem to be happening so um yeah, I mean, I'll stay optimistic and say we get, like, most of the stuff that's on the schedule now in. Um, but, like, once we get into the heart of ACC play where you're trying to stack these games on one another and you're trying to travel across the country and potentially have players back on – or students back on campus, it's going to be a, t- a total mess. So I guess we'll see what happens. Hopefully we have the same luck uh, in terms of getting the games on uh, as football and slightly better luck in terms of actually, like, winning them. Well, it would be hard to have worse luck um, in, in, <laughs> in, that, in that regard. <laughs> I think Syracuse football was determined to, to, to give us the, the football, whether we wanted it or not. Um, I guess jumping right into uh, kind of the season we expect and, and, and some of the things that are different. James, like Alan Griffin comes in as an Illinois transfer. He gets the waiver. He's expected basically uh, by, by a lot of fans, by outsiders to, to, to take up some of the scoring load um from you know the team's leading scorer last year Elijah Hughes who who ended up getting drafted in the NBA last week how much how how much is that realistic I guess and 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 do you think that Griffin ends up putting in like a really a really strong campaign or do you think it takes him a little bit um to kind of get his sea legs uh within the Syracuse program both on offense and defense I think we've underrated just how good Elijah Hughes was to to a certain degree uh last year you know obviously 19 points a game led the ACC in scoring, was on first-team All-ACC, and just had a great year for a relatively, you know, underwhelming Syracuse basketball team that finished 18-14. and 14. But uh, he did so much, and I think one area that's been undersold is just how important he was as sort of a, a, a pressure release guy, being able to play point forward at times, you know, take care of the ball um, and, and make plays for others. Uh, obviously, his scoring will be missed. He could do it from all three levels, really good shooter, you know, from three in the mid-range and then got to the rim pretty effectively as well, um, and he defended. So I think we've undersold that. But from what we've heard and everything we know right now, uh, Griffin should help with that to some degree. I don't think he's going to fully replace what Hughes did, but we know he's a good shooter. Um, He'll have to do a little bit more than what he was able to showcase at Illinois. Uh, You know, just kind of looking at the tape there, it seemed like he was in 
a little bit more of a catch and shoot role with Io DeSumo, kind of the ball dominant guard. He's almost like a Tyus Battle. But for, for Griffin specifically, I think he'll get to showcase a little bit more of his game at Syracuse. And Jim Beheim actually compared his motor to Bai Musicata in practices before the pause. Just said, you know, he's really going after every ball, every offensive rebound, uh, diving after it. He's really involved in plays. So um, I think his shooting will help. We all know he's a really good shooter. He'll probably start at the forward. You know, he'll put up points. Uh, but just how much he's able to put the ball on the deck and create for others and get to the rim, we, we've yet to see. So he'll he'll have to do a little bit more of that. It's there. And Dan, how about you? Uh, are, are you pretty high on what Griffin brings to the table? I mean, obviously, you, you and I have talked uh, at, at length too about about use and about you know the kind of NBA type skill set that he brought. Um, if Griffin's more of a Tyus Battle type player, um, maybe that does add uh, a, a different wrinkle, especially when it seems like we have not not redundant players to Griffin, but obviously like Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard. Maybe some of the strengths that Griffin has are also some of their biggest strengths as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to complain about uh, getting extra shooting, and it sounds like that's his number one still and what he really brings. Um, obviously, it's going to be very hard to replace uh, Elijah, and uh, it's it's not really realistic to ask him to do that because while I think there are probably some similarities in their ability to knock down shots, um, Elijah, like like James said, was was so good in that point forward role that we probably like ideally wouldn't have had him play, but he just did it with a plum and, and the team would have been way worse if he couldn't like handle the ball as much as he did. Um, also defensively, Elijah became a real asset in the zone, like probably one of the best uh, wing off ball defenders that we've had since Wes Johnson um, coming from the, from the corner. So um, it's going to be a lot to ask of him to have similar impacts there. Um, if he can put the ball in the deck and like kick out like this team on paper should have a decent amount of shooting. I mean, he Gerard and buddy like, will probably go down, go up against any, any trio in terms of shooting. It's a matter of like, can people penetrate? Um, maybe if today Richmond is, uh, lives up to the, the significant hype that I think Bayheim has been out front in putting on him, um, which isn't the first time he's done that with a freshman, but, um, that would be a big thing. Um, I think, you know, if, if you see guys like, like Buddy and Gerard, uh, and Quincy Garrier, um, take that next step forward, uh, I think, you know, I don't think it's going to be one person who like replaces Elijah. I think it's it's a matter of like you plug in uh, a couple of guys like Kadari, like uh, like Griffin, and then you hope that you have like the rising tide that comes with um, having a really young team last year, kind of uh, moving up. Uh, and then maybe we'll see like you know, even if you lo- lose this like really good NBA talent player, you you end up with a better team overall. We've seen Syracuse do that before, and we've seen Syracuse struggle to adjust to losing players like that. So hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's the former. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm very excited to see him. Like anyone who can knock down like 40% of his threes and is athletic and can get to the hole. Like I, I will take a million of those guys. Yeah. I mean, to me, like, obviously, uh, you know, Hughes was a great shooter last year and, and really increased his range, um, you know, beyond the three point arc. Uh, what I'm curious about is if Griffin is even more prolific out there, like, do we start to see more spacing, um, inside and what that could potentially do for a guy like Gary a or Dolajai? Um, or, or Parama Sidibe and, and how they might be able to, to attack the rim better. I know Sidibe in particular, um, Beheim said himself, was probably their best player um, or one of their best play- couple players um, over the last like seven to 10 games of the season. Um, Dan, if like we're looking at like an ideal distribution um, of, of maybe Elijah's points, do, wh- how do you see that breaking out? And like it obviously doesn't have to be like a specific per player basis, but more like if we're looking to at least equal um, his production, uh, do you see, do you see, or do you want to see more of those points going to the guards 
Um, do you want to see more of them going towards Griffin? Or do you think that uh, really where this offense can thrive most is maybe if a lot of those points end up getting siphoned inside um, and specifically to, you know, the, the, the big men? Um, I think I think a balance would be ideal. I think maybe, you know, the, the guards uh, take on a little bit more of the outside shooting slash Griffin, um, who is like the most likely candidate to take on like that, the three point shot. Um, but then hopefully, you know, you see Buddy continue to improve and Joe continue to improve. But then um, I'd love to see the kind of play from Gary that we saw at times last year, especially towards the end of the season. Like he really came on strong as he started to to dig himself out of that Beheim uh, dog uh, doghouse that we see so many players go in. Um, he looked like, I mean, he was awesome inside and awesome attacking the rim. And then if we could see a little bit to Richmond, uh, a little bit to, I mean, Dolzhai, we've been, you know, he's a great player for us and he does a lot and he could take on a lot of that ball, the ball handling role. Um, but if we could see him finally, like take that next step that he, he's like flirted with and not quite gotten to. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a team effort. I don't think you're going to have like one dude jump up like 10 points per game, but like, you know, four or five here and there, uh, I think you're better off as a team for that if, if you're not uh, single, uh, you know, one dimensional, which has been a problem for, for Syracuse in the last couple of years. Yeah, I agree. I, I'd love to get away from the three on five um, offensive sets that we've been running. But uh, James, how about you? How do you see this kind of playing out? Yeah, agree with Dan's point. I think it's going to be more balanced across the board. You know, uh, no, nobody's expecting Allen to come in and get 19 points a game like Elijah did. But if he can come in and give you 12 to 15 points, I mean, I think that's pretty solid. And then, you know, Buddy Beheim averaged 15 points per game last year. That's that's a lot. And I don't know if we can really expect him to get up to 18 or 19. I mean, I think that's a lot. Maybe, you know, he can add another point or two to his average. Same with Joe Girard and um, the forwards across the board. So uh, it's it's a good offensive team. Last year, the offense wasn't the problem for Syracuse. It was the defense. So if they can continue to, to play offense like they did last year, that's really solid. And if Barama's improved or at least – uh, you know, at the very least plays like he did over the last seven or eight games of the season. You feel pretty good about that. And you have a little bit more depth uh, with the, with the bench as well. I don't think Jay, uh, Jim Beheim's going to sit there and play, you know, nine guys like he says he, he could. He potentially could like he seems to do every preseason. But uh, at least you have the depth that, you know, if there are injuries there, there are other guys that could step in. Makes sense. So, like, I know you mentioned depth a little bit, um, knowing that we're usually looking at a seven or eight man rotation. Uh, James, what's your who do you think your guys are, uh, you know, going into the year, at least if you're Jim Beheim, Yeah. The, the returning four starters make sense. I mean, I think you could pretty much plug those guys in with buddy and Joe up top and then Barama and Marek at the four and the five Griffin assuredly would probably fill the, the, you know, three spot with Hughes. And then you have Quincy and Kadari as six and seven guys off the bench. The backup center is probably the most interesting or at least most up for grabs position. Uh, Jesse Edwards is back. He was over in the Netherlands this summer and kind of got a late start. He came back in August to Syracuse and had to quarantine for a couple weeks. So he, he was a little bit behind in terms of some of his other teammates. Uh, a, a previously top 50 recruit, Frank Anselm, is in at center. Uh, he reclassified and moved up a year. So he's still pretty young. Uh, I don't know that, you know, we've, we've heard good things. We've heard he's athletic. Beheim has said both of those guys have worked hard but he doesn't really know what he's going to have out of those guys until he sees them in game action. And then there's the, the potential that Marek could just slide over and play five. I don't think they want to do that this year, uh, but that that's certainly always an option. He's, he's played some center as well. So I, I think that's kind of what we see, maybe a seven or eight man rotation. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe early on we see something resembling eight. I mean, we don't have the same sort of non-conference uh, kind of lead into the season. So obviously 
it looks a little bit different. I think Jim's typically gone to maybe nine at first, see what he has on his hands, um, and then go from there. But I, I think most of what you spell out there is pretty fair. And, and you know, I, I do want to see more of Edwards. I think he was really interesting on offense when he, when he was in games last year. Um, but realistically, yeah, that, that delay that you mentioned uh, is potentially problematic. Uh, Anselm's an interesting one. I feel like he's your stereotypical player to redshirt for Bayheim. Uh, but at the same time, like he was someone who showed offensive prowess, um, you know, at, at the high school level, he was, I think, good enough to reclassify. I know um, at one point in the uh, 2021 rankings, he was what top 50 or so. Well, I was just saying like for, for me, like, and, and, and like a lot, th- there's plenty to hammer about recruiting of late, but I would say that like, I think last year, the, this past class ends up being a little more interesting because of something like that, where those numbers aren't really impacted by, how his reclassification, he was slotted in as what, like a top 150, 160 player um, when he reclassified. But in reality, he was probably still in the top 100. Yeah, that that's fair. I mean, you are moving up a grade. So obviously you're competing against, you know, obviously players that are better. And you can get into the weeds on recruiting and, and rankings. And you could say something like, well, Elijah Hughes wasn't even in the top 100 in his class. And look where he is. So it's all, it's, it's an inexact science. You never really know with recruiting, but We've, we've heard good things from the coaching staff. He's long. He's athletic. Uh, presumably that fits well with the center position, being able to get to the high post and stretch to the corners. But but you never know. Uh, like Jim Beheim said, you won't know until you see it in games. And uh, you never truly know with freshmen when they're coming in. True. Dan, how about uh, putting on your Jim Beheim hat or lack thereof? What is uh, What would be your rotation? Yeah, I mean, I think it's likely to look pretty similar to what, what you guys said. Um, you know, I would love to see more Garrier. I think he is potentially like maybe like the, the key figure for me because I think we kind of know what we're getting from. I mean, obviously, we don't really know what we're getting from Allen We trust what we've seen from him at Illinois. Um, and we, you know, we at least know generally what we're getting from Iraq and, and Sidibe. Obviously, if Sidibe takes like this big leap forward, then we're talking a whole, a whole new uh, front court for us. But assuming that there's like maybe moderate steps. Um, I think Gary is the one who could really have a breakout. Um, and also just like, I think the, the most interesting thing is that like our, our front court is potentially way deeper. And I say that because, because I know how Bayheim works and, you know, in three weeks we'll have like three guys playing two positions, um, <laughs> but potentially a lot deeper than our backcourt where we have like, really, it sounds like four guys who are going to play a decent amount. Um, so I don't know if there's like solutions to sliding a guy back to the small forward position in some situations, but like right now it's basically Gerard Canary, buddy and Griffin for those three spots. Um, and I don't, I don't know. What, what do you guys, how do you guys think we're going to handle that besides the, the, the most likely options that they're going to play like 38 minutes a game each. Um, <laughs> I mean, that seems the most likely. Yes. <laughs> I know a couple of people were talking about in the comments that I found interesting. Um, maybe Gary a at the three. My, I've thought about that. My big issue though, is that, Garrier isn't necessarily like a great ball handler. And obviously like, like Marek can pass and that's all, but like we, we don't necessarily have a lot of like shot creators then on the right. floor and you, and you do end up with like that, that, that thing that we've had lately when we do have a bigger lineup is three guys kind of bogging down the middle and then uh, Gerard and Bayheim just kind of jacking up shots outside. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, that, that's the biggest concern, I think, for this team on the offensive end is who's your playmaker? You know, is Joe Girard willing to take a little bit more of a backseat and facilitate and create more for guys with Hughes not there? Or can Marek or maybe Allen or, you know, guys step up and do something we haven't seen as much of? Uh, Marek might be your best option there in terms of creating off the dribble and being able to find guys. We know he's unselfish, uh, but he hasn't had to do a ton of that as of yet. So, you know, that, that remains to be seen, but that's that's the biggest area. As, as far as the top of the zone goes, I, I know some people think that Griffin could play the two. I think he can, but I, I think, you know, barring, you know, no injuries and the three guys that they have, I think those three guys are going to play. Um, Beheim, some sometimes he will hype up freshmen or say, you know, speak in hyperbole saying this is the best guy we've had in a long while. But I think it's sincere with Kadari. And I think if you look at him, I, I don't know that he's going to set the ACC on fire, but I think he's going to be really good. Um, the coaching staff seems to think that he's going to play exclusively point guard. They didn't know he was a point guard coming in. Um, so, so when he comes into the game, they say they'll, they'll slide Joe over to the two and maybe that, you know, lets him create his own shot or, um, at least, you know, he doesn't have to set up the offense and maybe he can play make from that two guard spot. But, uh, I, I think they're, they're going to be pretty solid with that, that three guard rotation up top. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think the, the, the key here, and like we talked about Gary, I kind of being locked in at the four for the most part. Um, I think like, and this isn't a knock necessarily, but like Buddy kind of being locked into the two is also its own, like kind of, it, it does landlock the offense yes. a little bit and, yes. and, and and what you can do because yeah, you can't like physically like Buddy can't play the three. He can't be a one like Gerard. If Gerard can develop into someone who can play both guard positions, I think that does open up a lot more for what they can do with this roster. Yeah. I, I think if, if we get like, um, a wreck situation where you know, like you guys said, he he has been he's looked really good playmaking from like the the high post um, here and there. We haven't seen it really as like a central part of the offense. Like we haven't seen him do um, like full like Jokic stuff from there. It's like possession by possession. Um, so that definitely could be uh, an interesting solution, especially if we're going to be able to roll the three main shooters out there. Um, but then Tadari could could also unlock a lot. Like it doesn't sound like he's a great shooter, but if he's if he's like three quarters of as good as Beheim is hyping him up to be right away. And we've seen Beheim do this and it work out great. And we've seen Beheim do it and the guy ends up like not being very good. Um, so it's really no, uh, it's not like, Oh, he wouldn't be saying this if it was, wasn't true. Like we've, we've seen Jim do both. Um, but if he is like a similar player to what Beheim says, and he does have those point guard stills, like that's huge because we, we do need that, that secondary guy. Um, I think Gerard um, showed us like probably more than we expected for as a true freshman last year, but He's obviously like we we don't want him as the only primary ball handler for 38 minutes. I don't think that's like healthy for anyone. Yeah. Um, and just being able to roll out those extra looks and like, hey, we could either go three wide and bomb you, or we can have uh, this high post like six foot ten like point forward, or we could have this six foot five point guard who will get to the rim in three steps. And it's just nice to be able to roll out those different kind of attacks, and that's something we've yes. also been lacking. Yeah, Dan, Dan, you bring up a good point too because. Even if Kadari's not a good shooter, I don't think he necessarily needs to be because his skill set is different than what you have at the one through three, you know, assuming Griffin's at the three. He can come in and he can run the offense and he can kind of facilitate. Maybe he doesn't get enough minutes to, to be like a primary playmaker. You know, maybe he only gets 10 to 15 minutes at a, you know, in a game. But if he can come in and bring a different skill set than what Joe and 
and Buddy have, that's that's a big help for Syracuse. Great points there, guys. Um, a couple, not to move us along like too quickly, but figure before we get to halftime, I did want to just quick talk defense a bit. Uh, we've mentioned the zone. Obviously, like Elijah was a great defender within the zone. I think an underrated one at that, as we've kind of touched on. Um, and Griffin's going to have some big uh, shoes to fill there. On top of that, though, the guards do need to make a little bit of progress um, on that front to uh, to help things out a little bit. Obviously, last year's defense had uh, quite a few problems, um, kind of reminiscent of the um, 2017, well, sorry, 2016-17 team um, in that regard. Uh, Jane, what's your... Obviously, like we're not going to suddenly see all conference defenders, um, you know, from the right. guards. But what's the what what would be like one or two like small things that that can make a big difference for 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 Buddy and Gerard in particular, if not uh, Kadari as well? Yeah, not to, not to be overly critical, but I do think those guys were given a little bit of a pass on the defense last year. Uh, certainly, there were breakdowns from the forward spot with with Quincy not having full health, obviously with his groin and other breakdowns in the zone as well, but. I think that's the area of the zone that has to improve the most is the top of the zone. Can those guys defend? Can they get stops? Um, last year, you know, as you mentioned, the defense was more similar to that 2016-2017 team. It was the second worst in the Ken Palm era under Jim Beheim. So that's that's pretty poor. Um, adjusted defense, looking at it now, ranked 116th last year, uh, 99.6 adjusted defensive efficiency. That's not good. To, to be able to take that defense – and maybe get that up to a top 50 or top 40 Ken Palm defensive efficiency team is going to be a tall order, especially when you return most of the personnel from last year. Uh, so if, if Beheim can do that, that's, that's a heck of a coaching job. Uh, everybody's got to get a little bit better. I think everybody probably did in the off season. So there's hope there, but you are returning a pretty poor defense. So those guys are going to have to get a little bit more creative up top in terms of, you know, how they play the passing angles, how they cut guys off not take so many risks. Uh, Donna DeTota had a really good piece over at Syracuse.com interviewing Frank Howard and Tyus Battle and how those guys knew they were able to take more risks because they knew they had seven foot two Pascal Chuku back there. Uh, I think this year you kind of have to be a little bit less risky. Obviously those guys, they can get a little bit quicker, but not too much quicker. So they're just going to have to play well within the zone. Um, they're going to have to hedge a little bit better and, and just, uh, you know, kind of lock in there and, and not go for so many steals and just play solid defense. Yeah, and two, obviously, you know, quickness is something that you need at least a little bit of, but, you know, both Buddy and Gerard have kind of added, add, from from all accounts, added some good weight in the offseason, but you have to wonder uh, what the impact is on on quickness for right. both of those guys. Um, point. Dan, how about you? Uh, do, do you feel like there's, I mean, obviously there's no magic pill here, but do you think there's, a, there's at least a couple of like, small tweaks that they can make? I think just experience, honestly, is the biggest thing in the zone. Um, and we have a couple of guys who, you know, were, were early in it last year. And obviously having Gerard play uh, so much as a true freshman and play arguably the one or, you know, first or second most important position in it. Um, and all the, they're all important. Like they all have, serve a function. But um, I'm less worried about the defense. Like obviously it's kind of a concern that we're returning uh, mostly the same team without arguably the best defender in it. But also, like we saw, like you said, that 2017 team was ranked 119 in Ken Palm on defense. The following year, they were ranked fifth. The year after, they were 30th. And then we fell back to 116 last year. So, um, like, we've seen, like, spots of bad defense. Um, I think the offense is more of a systematic issue um, until I see differently. Like, we could have a bad defense at the end this year. But I trust Beheim more in, like, getting his guys used to the system and playing it well. Um Versus the offense, I think we've seen like more repeated issues year over year. So um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm slightly concerned, but also we have like you know a number of three three front court guys who now have at least one full season in it. We have uh, two guards who have played a lot of it, even if it hasn't always been effectively. If they can, if 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 Buddy and 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 Gerard can both get up to like B minus C plus levels most nights, um, and our offense can roll the way that like on paper it could it should be able to, like I'll I'll, I'll sign for it and like say hopefully our front court, uh, which has I think more upside of the defensive end, can clean it up. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a concern, but I'm less worried, uh, of it becoming this thing where like the defense just is bad all of a sudden all the time, because we saw like that same kind of weird fall off in that uptick, uh, just a few years ago. Yeah, that is perfectly fair. And honestly, like I do trust, like you said, Bayheim a little bit more in the defensive end, um, at this point from the offense, I think the offense again, it is, is if they can find a way to progress out of the three on five, um, set up, however they do that. Um, I think we'll be in much better shape there. I think there's much bigger lift on defense, but I think that's a lift that Jim's uh, capable of. I do want to give a shout out to our uh, sponsor here uh, this week before we get into a little bit of halftime conversation. Um, if you're struggling to find a gift that purpley encapsulates uh, your love or passion for Out of the Orange, Syracuse, or any other school, uh, maybe check out Homefield Apparel. Uh, if you're looking for a holiday gift, just trying to show off your impeccable style, your in-laws uh, this holiday, and you want to own them in some sort of rivalry game, Homefield does have you covered. Uh, I don't know if I'm sure everyone's heard uh, from us about Homefield at this point. Uh, they have really great, unique, thoughtful designs, um, prints on the comfiest hoodies and tees that you'll ever own. Uh, Dan and I regularly uh, talk about uh, just how great they are. Um, James, do you have yourself any Homefield apparel uh, merchandise yet? I do. Uh, over the summer, I... I... Received my Cuse script shirt in the mail. Uh, it's extremely comfortable. It's actually probably the most comfortable shirt that I own. And you can never go wrong with the script. I think, uh, you know, us at Noons and the fan base at large really appreciate the script. Yeah, everybody, everybody's pro script and should be um, uh, around these parts. But if you want to be pro script too, um, or, you know, support a donkey biting through a stick of dynamite or an anteater or <laughs> any other random mascot, I mean, wave you the wave. Uh, would be the pick of this podcast most days. Um, you can get 30% off your entire order uh, with uh, BF Noons. That's B-F-N-U-N-E-S um, at checkout. Uh, treat yourself or somebody else for the holidays. Uh, it'll be well, well worth it. Uh, we can promise you that. Yeah. I mean, no one should be going anywhere. So comfort is number one. So get the most comfortable clothes possible. That's basically the thing. Yeah, that, that that's an inarguable um, proposition there. This also reminded me that Tulane had a devastating football loss, uh, oh, which sucks. was only of, which is only overshadowed by our football loss, which wasn't as devastating as much as just like just, just bad on every front. And then the Packers, uh, my NFL team, uh, handed away a game yesterday. So I, I had a great weekend, guys. Just just really good. I drank a lot of whiskey yesterday. Delightful. Uh, speaking of drinking, great segue, Dan. What have you been drinking? A lot of scotch. And also, uh, I got some stuff from uh, Five Burrows Brewing down in Brooklyn. Um, I, I got their uh, their Session IPA. I've been drinking a lot of Sessions recently, um, which is quite, always really good. Their IPAs overall are really good. I also got a, a Hoppy Lager from them, which is good. I was hoping it was going to be a little more lager uh, with, like, a hop finish. And it's definitely more – it drinks more like an IPA. So it was, like, a little – not quite what, quite what I was hoping for. Um, still very drinkable. I'm not complaining. And then I also was still working on the dogfishes and the, uh, and the, uh, Cedar cities in my fridge. Uh, and then, yeah, after the Packers, uh, decided to not store in the second half, I poured myself two really, uh, tall glasses of scotch and, uh, had a mild hangover this morning. So having a great time. 
Nicely done. James, how about yourself? I know you're more of a wine drinker, but whatever you've been been imbibing. You guys are going to blow me out of the water with your beer knowledge, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm back up in Syracuse, so I've been getting a little bit more into the craft beer scene. Uh, nice brewery out of Cooperstown. You guys probably know it. I had an Amagang wit yesterday and it was, it was really good. But again, uh, you guys, certainly your expertise, you'd know more than, I don't, I don't know if that's a, considered a, a good beer or not, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. Amagang wit is like, uh, if, I mean, if, if the Syracuse alums here uh, probably all had their moments with it at Fagan's, it's oh, like yeah. a, it's like a great, um, like starting to like find your way into craft beer, like Amagang stuff okay. in general, it's super accessible. I think, and like they just make really good versions of like everything. So you could, I mean, yeah. they're always really reliable and really good. Their wits great. It's like one of my favorite that, wits. That makes me feel better, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> that, yeah. Just for you. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're honestly like, yeah, that was like probably like one of like the first like five or six like craft breweries that I actually started like drinking more stuff from. And I, what they did was the the accessibility of of not just standard styles and also like broadening horizons maybe into like Belgian styles and things like that. Like that was how I kind of started branching out more uh, was a lot of their stuff as well as just, you know, random beers at Fagan's. Um, on my end, I didn't have a ton of variety necessarily. Um, had uh, from Highland Park, um, one of my favorite breweries, as you can probably guess since I mention them almost every week. Um, I did have their uh, Lazy Susan. is a uh, peaches and nectarine uh, sour wheat beer. Um, also had some Timbo Pills, which is back in stock over there. Uh, it's what I attest to be one of the better beers in California. It's a Hoppy Pills. Um, also had the last of the uh, today's forecast from uh, Pizza Port uh, that we had in the fridge. And then I also had some whiskey uh, from High West. Had a American Prairie Reserve um, that I finally finished off. Um, so that was good. But now I need more whiskey because uh, now that my wife's drinking again, we are going through whiskey quicker. I was very uh, jealous that uh, Andy uh, from the site had the Highland Park Threes crossover beer that I forgot was happening. Um, and he lives very close to Threes. I live very far from Threes. Um, but now I kind of want to go down to Brooklyn before like we all get stuck in our apartments. So I may have to seek that out. Do it honestly. Like Highland Park is, I think, one of the best breweries in the country. Yeah, I've always, I mean, the few times I've had anything from them, I always, always enjoyed it. And then like I saw Andy over in Brooklyn enjoying and I'm like, well... I mean, it'd be silly not to. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that 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 seems like a given for you. Um, but yeah, why don't we talk a little bit more about basketball here uh, before we let James go, and and then Dan and I plunge ourselves into the filth um, of, of football. Um, we don't have to go game by game, but maybe just a, a read on like ACC schedule, knowing that like everything else in the non-conference is a little questionable. Um, James, where do you see SU finishing? Um, do you think 500 is reasonable? Do you think they can maybe finish a couple games over and maybe finish in the top four to six in the conference? Like what, what, what's your, what's your ceiling on this thing? And maybe like, where do you actually think things reasonably finish? Yeah. You know, games canceled, notwithstanding, assuming Syracuse is going to play a full league schedule here. I, I think a little over 500 is reasonable. Uh, we saw Syracuse come out sixth in the preseason ACC poll. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could split hairs. I mean, I think the top four definitely decided, and, you know, Louisville's probably that fifth team and then six, seven, eight, it kind of becomes more of a jumble and really competitive. But, uh, you know, Syracuse has been around 500 every year following the first year, uh, the Tyler Ennis 25 and 0 year. Uh, so I think I think we can probably expect somewhere similar around there. Um, if a full league schedule gets played, you know, maybe 12 and eight 
that's probably where I would have him, just given how uh, good the offense should be and, and hopefully some improvements made on the defensive end. But overall, yeah, I'd probably say 11 and nine or 12 and eight in the league. All right. That's reasonably optimistic. Dan, what are you, uh, what are you seeing on the schedule? I think that's probably, uh, I'm going like game by game trying to do it. And it does feel like we're probably going to be in that slightly over 500 range, but uh, you know, there are wins here. Um, I think everyone's going to be dealing with like issues in terms of getting started. So I'm hoping uh, starting out with uh, Boston College off the front end and Notre Dame, who uh, I'm, I'm always like, the last couple of years, I've not known what to do with Notre Dame because like they, they've been like, they've always had a nice assemblage of players, but it seemed but like they're, they're also they're, trash. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they've but, lost a lot. They lost TJ Gibbs and John Mooney. Those, those are big losses for them. Yeah. So that makes me feel better. Um, and then at Wake. So like, there's a chance to start off hot here. Obviously at UNC versus Florida State is tough, but. Um, yeah, I'm going to go, um, I'll go with, uh, I'll go with 10 wins in, in conference. I think, uh, it's going to be very close to 500 and, and hopefully if there's, assuming there's an NCAA tournament, like if you can hold serve in a major conference, hopefully you get like pretty, uh, legit, like benefit of the doubt because, you, you know, if you were to win 10 games in the ACC this year, like you can kind of pencil in what you know, like you, what you can assume the front end of the normal schedule would have looked like, like you would have won most of your non-conferences and you would have you know, probably had one or two bid matchups, but um, hopefully without a lot of those early data points in the early season tournaments, which are getting canceled one by one and, and whatever else, like um, just like being a competitive ACC team is enough to get into March. If we have one, if we have a, 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 a similar tournament, which I assume uh, because last year was canceled, they'll do everything in their power to, to not have uh, miss out on again. So yeah, it's, it's just such a mystery. It's so weird to look at a schedule like this because it's so different than what we're accustomed to. Oh yeah, and honestly, like, and I get into this in the in the piece that we're doing too about predictions, with like the fact that you know the non the like lesser teams uh, in you know non power conferences are not really going to have opportunities to showcase themselves um, a lot in in like bigger games and these early season tournaments. Like, you're probably going to see. I mean, it's it's usually pretty heavy on on power five teams, but I think you're going to see it even more heavy on toward power five teams in terms of the large field, um, and that helps a team like Syracuse that's kind of on the cusp. Um, realistically, you know, if, an, if SU can win, you know, 11, 12 games, I think they're, they're, they're almost assuredly in, I, I, I think 10 gets dicey depending on who you beat. Um, I think there's 10 reasonable wins on this schedule without upsets. Um, and I think after that, um, you know, like I, I did that piece a couple of weeks ago about like, you know, win tiers and having like five games in each, did help kind of bucket out like what SU needs to do. So, you know, you, if you have to go five and O against that bottom group, okay, that's already five in the bank, but then you need to start, you need to basically go like above 500 in the other, in, in tier two and tier three to like start entertaining more than 10 wins. Um, and even then, if, even if you do that, you're still not necessarily picking up that marquee win that you do need in, in, in tier one. So for me, like this season kind of gets, this season kind of gets decided by like what SU does against like the Virginia tech, Clemson, Miami, Georgia tech contingents. And really like what, what, what they handle in there is, is, is going to dictate a lot. I think it's 10 and 10 right now. Um, once we get some games under our belt, we can see like what Richmond looks like, how Griffin's fit fits in, how we see, you know, some of those changes we talked about earlier in the episode um, that, that maybe is able to upgrade it. But right now, based on what we know, um, I, I think 10 and 10 is kind of where I'm netting out. 
I just went about three. I think I'm at 11. I think I, I 11 and nine. I'm accounting for one dumb loss somewhere. That's fair. I mean, it'll that's happen. Just, that's penciled in. <laughs> you bake that it into the equation. Happens. And you hope you it'll get like the big stupid win that shouldn't have happened to offset it. It'll be Boston College on December 12th. <laughs> <laughs> Nightmare. People, even if we ended up being like pretty good, if we lose that BC game, I, I'm terrified for all of us. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I, just, I, I just can't tolerate it anymore based on, the, based on what I've had to yell at the football. But there's just this situation where it's just not, yeah, it, it, as a fan, it just won't be worth sitting through. But I think there's a real shot at like a 3-0-ish start, um, depending, or at least 3-0 start in the ACC. We'll see on, like, I think Rutgers obviously decides a lot. But I think there's a real, I mean, you have BC, Notre Dame, Wake Forest. Um, on there before you get the North Carolina game. Obviously, Buffalo's sitting in the middle of there. Um, as is Rutgers, there'll probably be a Binghamton-ish game or something like that um, thrown in there too. So there's there's a chance for SU to really start to get some momentum um, before they have to go on the road at North Carolina. But we'll see. I Like I said, I, I think honestly, like 10 win- if you get 10 wins in conference and if Rutgers is what people think Rutgers could be this year, then yeah, that might be enough because if you, not, if you manage to knock off Rutgers, or even if you don't, um, you know, it's, it's quality game on, on, on the schedule and, and, and trade the schedule could become, you know, a real differentiating point this year, even more so than normal. Yes, we can just ignore what this all means about uh, Rutgers athletics at this point. Or <laughs> we can make the jokes about 2020, whatever you, whatever you guys want. Fine with both. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, that was it from the basketball side of things. James, anything else you want to kind of uh, impart on us before you, uh, before you leave? No, uh, thanks for having me on. And, and, you know, I just tell listeners and readers just, you know, follow along. Obviously, we'll have updates all throughout the season and we'll have comprehensive coverage. We've got uh, Christian's doing good work on the football side. Sounds like he's going to help over on the basketball side a little bit. So we'll, we'll have some new voices uh, in the mix and, uh, you know, definitely keep it posted. And thank you guys for having me on and glad I was able to contribute somewhat to the beer conversation. <laughs> Of course, James. Um, appreciate it. And yeah, everybody, uh, everybody follow James um, and obviously the blog um, all season. We'll have plenty of content uh, coming up as the games get started this week. And we're back with some football here as we close out the episode. Um, it's just John and Dan now. Um, Dan, I don't really think we need to rehash uh, what happened on Friday because <laughs> it was it was pretty damn miserable. Um, offense basically didn't show up. Uh, defense did. And defense actually like looked good until it was just like too gassed to do anything. Um, Jacoby Morgan might not be able to play. I, 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 I'm not really sure like what to think of this, this season anymore, just because it was already questionable, like what sort of takeaways we could have to begin with. That's gotten worse. I don't necessarily think we're, we're, we're developing anything on offense anymore, which is problematic. Um, I guess just a quick thought from you, and then we'll just jump into the NC State NC State game that we're almost definitely going to lose. Oh uh, yeah, um, just just awful. Like the passing game, we couldn't get anything going. As as like as uh, somewhat impressive slash like hopeful Morgan, you know, looked in the last couple of games. He just couldn't get anything going, and then he got hurt. And hopefully, he's okay. Um, it'll be okay moving forward. It was relatively scary that we heard he was in the hospital and he wasn't. Um, but you know, hopefully, everything is is okay generally um tucker was really good and that's about uh all you can say about the offense honestly <laughs> like tucker's great and he's good like regardless of everything else that's happening uh which is a nice attribute to have 
um, out of your uh, top running back, and hopefully that'll be the case throughout his career, um, you need more than 45 passing yards to do anything against anyone. And the fact that it, it all came against, like, one of the ACC's worst defenses in Louisville um, is just really disheartening. Like, this team is obviously missing a million guys, but it just it felt like a team that's just, like, kind of ready to pack it in, and that's never fun to watch. It's never uh good for uh fan uh like like fans can tell even if you're like not able to go to games this year like we can all tell on tv when a team like is really fighting like it is Clemson they fought super hard I was really proud of them and like there are obviously fewer guys playing now but it's not like a you know remarkably different roster um as then it was a few weeks ago it just seems like this year has kind of beaten them down so um it's both like kind of a natural thing to happen to a team that's going through a year as bad as this but it's it's hard to like find bright spots in it because you know fans are getting restless and I think um, both like they should know that Babers is going to be here next year and we can hope that he turns it around and he deserves that one last shot. Um, but like the reality is setting in like that it's going to be like this one final season uh, to get it turned and if he has a bowl season next year, you know you can kind of write off this year because it was such a stupid uh, situation overall. Um, but if not, it's you know. I think we all know where things are going, but hopefully everyone gives him at least a fair, a fair shake moving into next year as bad as stuff has looked here, because there's really no advantage not to like, it's never a good look, even if these things shouldn't matter, like the things that are set online or whatever, it's never a great look to have like your fan base in open rebellion uh, when, you know, the coach is still hoping to turn things around. And like, we have a decent class coming in. Um, we'll hopefully be returning like a, a cavalcade of players from injury and, and, uh, everything else and and uh hopefully we'll turn it around in next year because as bad as this year is, is um i've just tried to like remind myself like if this is a normal season we probably would have played you know we would have had these these much more winnable games early in the year and that could have at least set the tone for like you know maybe just another disappointing four and eight year but it wouldn't have looked like this uh and maybe it would have been better if we had like the running backs in the start and everything everything else and and the offensive line was a little more stabilized we had you know a normal practice um, so I, I think it's hard to disregard how much the situation that we've been dealing with uh, has pro- probably impacted this. And that's not to make an excuse as everyone's dealing with that stuff. But I do think we should hopefully go into 2021, assuming everything in the world gets closer to normal before the season and say like, hey, let's, you know, whatever happened last year, let's hopefully hope that this is a, a normal year that we can, can put that behind us. And if it's bad again, then we all know what's going to happen. If it's not bad, I think people, I think, I hope that people are like, okay, 2020 was its own thing. And if Babers wins six games next year, I hope people aren't like, well, it was only six games and he just won one last year. Like, I just hope that there are fair expectations moving into next season. And like next season is judged as a regular football season. uh, And it's not like in concert with whatever this is, because I do think it's been really bad and it's been like kind of traumatizing to watch at points, but if things bounce back and are good next year, or at least decent next year, I, I, I hope that people aren't going to like use this year because they have an agenda or they just don't think that Babers is the right guy, even if evidence is, you know, points to him be at least being better than like what Schaefer was at this point. So it's uh yeah, that, that's just a long rant, but I'm just trying to stay at least like somewhat optimistic. And if it, if it starts next year again, like we'll be talking about coaching candidates and we all know that's the situation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I, I really couldn't have said it better myself. I don't really have much to add, to be honest. I, I think that you you really encapsulated it well, realistically. Like we're rooting for Dino to succeed, not because of any favoritism toward him, but because we want Syracuse to succeed realistically. Um, and if it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen. And yeah, I, I, I think you, you you next year see the articles from myself, from Syracuse.com, from elsewhere about, you know, why it's time to move on and, 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 mm-hmm. and, and, and the, the, you know, list of reasons why. And, and I mean, we've spelled out most of them already as, as, as ones that you can use against him next year if it doesn't work out. I'm, I, well, you go for it. Uh, it's, I just want to, like, it, it should be said that, like, this is a very difficult job. And he won 10 games two years ago. And like, that doesn't mean he gets to stay forever. But it also, I think, means let's be absolutely sure he's not the guy. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, let's make sure that he has everything he, he needs to win. And obviously this year he doesn't. And that's, you know, probably in part his fault and in part just like the world we're living in. But let's like all make sure, like, without a reasonable doubt that Babers, okay, just like he had the one moment and it's clearly not working from here. And that may be the case. Like, it's, it's very possible. But I think like the high was so high that it's hard to punt on that early. And not that it's like super early, but I just think it's not unreasonable to say, hey, that bought him these two years and and a third, I guess now. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm rooting for him. He seems like, you know, the kind of guy I like coaching my team compared to some other guys that are out there that are just like, I mean, you can go read the news today. And I know that person has been a lot more successful, but like just a total just like some gross stuff coming out and like Babers just seems more thoughtful and like seems to get it. And I know that comes off as him being like kind of aloof at times. And that probably frustrates people. Uh, and it might seem that he cares less. And I don't think that's the case. I think his personality is just a little more even tempered at all times, aside from like the fun hype videos and whatnot. Um, but yeah, that's just like, I don't think either of us are like unnecessarily tying ourselves to Babers. I just think we know that 2018 was a rare thing. Um, I think, I think it was Andy that tweeted like, the list of 10 win seasons Syracuse has had. And it's, uh, it's not very long. It's, and Babers is on a very, very short list there. Um, and you can like do the whole thing with like who recruited who. And like, at the end of the day, it, it was a lot of his players. It was a lot of freshmen that he recruited. And then also uh, the guys he inherited played way better for him than they played for anyone else. So um, yeah, it's just like, let's, let's just make sure, let's just make sure we know exactly what we're doing before we make a big move like that. Because the worst thing that could happen is like Babers goes, gets another, you know, lower level, like a Mountain West job in two years, kills it, and then ends up uh, at Cal and is like there for, for 10 years. Like that would, we'd feel so ridiculous if that happened. Um, so let's just, let's just make sure that, that he is not the guy before we do anything crazy. And if he's not, I love coaching search articles. I love compiling lists like that. Um, I already have one name in mind that I'm not going to do because it's unfair to the current administration, but like we will be there with everyone else. It's just, let's verify beyond shadow of a doubt. Yeah. I that agree. being said, the rest of this year is going to be awful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the last two games are going to be absolutely unwatchable. Um, the, the final game against Notre Dame is going to be absolutely miserable. I, I unless, unless we get like a G Rob Notre Dame moment, which would be, there's no way. We not, I, there's, I don't think so. This Notre Dame team is really good. I, and that that Notre Dame team wasn't like it was fun to beat them, but no way the only Notre Dame team was pretty like mediocre. Um, it would be hilarious if we knocked Notre Dame out of the playoff. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, I would love it, but at the, the same ACC time, would yeah. be really mad at us. Super. Mad. Although 
part of it would be just like it is an ACC team this year, and there would be benefits to them to two teams making it. Um, although, like, I get this point, I kind of want Clemson to like fall on their face, but um, at the same time, uh, ruining that for them, I think a lot of the fan bases would actually be like, that's actually really funny because they're, they're they're not going to stay in the ACC, so it's, it is what it is. Like, yeah, if anything, this gives them more reason to not stay if they if they make the playoff once again. Um, but any case, uh, I know we didn't talk really about NC State at all, but knowing how dire things are for Syracuse, who do you think wins this game and how? Oh, uh, I think NC State wins. NC State beat Liberty, which I am actually happy about. Um, ugly, game won, ugly game, 15-14. Um, they're way better. They're better. They're a lot better than that I thought they would be uh, entering this year. Uh, Doran got them on, like, decent footing. Um, they've gotten good quarterback play. Um, Doran today also had, like, a total, like, harebrained quote about COVID, so that was fun. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't – I mean, hopefully we hopefully we get bad things into more respectability. But um, I thought the NC State line, which was 15 and a half, 15, was, like, pretty low. I, I would take NC State by a couple touchdowns. So, um, I'm going to go NC State 34, Syracuse 10. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking 38 to I'm thinking 38 to seven, um, and 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 like I'm annoyed by that, but realistically, um, where where I think there's benefits because I it was Bailey Hockman's starting and Hockman's not really a super accurate quarterback, so that plays into our defensive strengths. But so the problem is that we we can't yeah, score we can't, off of them. Yeah, we can't score off of them unless Garrett Williams runs it back or somebody else does too. Um, or we have I felt so bad of, for the defense on Friday. They played, they played so hard. And they like, played so hard for the beginning of the game. Like, they, they really, like, they, they created all the opportunities. I mean, it shouldn't take Williams or Melifanu or, you know, Trill on some random um, lateral, like, scoring to, like, make us feel like we have a chance. Um, and, and I do feel like it's kind of come down to that. I also think that the the run game for, for NC State's been so good this year. Uh, with Zonovan Knight, Ricky Parrison, like, this is not going to go well. Um, we just kind of have to deal with it. The one thing I started thinking uh, during that game: um, Do you think we? Do you think we just give Sterling Dilbert the boot? And again, it might not be his fault. Like he was handed a very tough situation, but obviously he was brought in to kind of be like the 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 uh, Sean Lewis two like the guy that Babers trusts implicitly, who was on page with him, um, and it it just hasn't looked very good at all. Um, oh, it's looked miserable. I mean, it, it looked like Gilbert looked even worse than he did at his previous stop at USF in Texas. Like this has been, this has been an unmitigated disaster. And to be honest, like th- this is the source of what, uh, of what's killing fans and, and it's getting people really worked up. Is, do you think is, we're going to see a new OC next year? Like I, obviously. I, I, I think, I think, we, I think we can't not realistically. Like I, 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 if Dino brings him back, then I, and, and if Kavanaugh comes back as well, like, yeah. I know Kavanaugh hasn't recruiting, whatever, but, like, Gilbert doesn't have that. Like, realistically, like, Gilbert's only been on campus for a year and, and, and has performed miserably. And and, and, and even with COVID, uh, you know, considered, like, this has been – like, th- there, there is nothing we've seen that warrants bringing him back. And, and, and bringing him back, to me, indicates that next season will not go as planned in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's tough because, like, I feel like firing him is, like, a tacit admission of, like – we need to do something wholesale different on offense. And that's a tough thing to do when you're trying to like move forward and have a, like a bowl season, but things are so bad that I, I, I agree. I don't know that you can reasonably say, uh, I don't know that you can reasonably say that like, there's an upside to bringing him back. Kavanaugh needs to go too. like, we were banging that drum last year. I think we both kind of bought into the like, okay, he's recruiting. Well, there was like this uptick in late season. 
Um, I think we saw like maybe a slight uptick this year, but it, it, this wasn't there yes. on Friday. The pass protection uh, was miserable. Like, yeah. It, it, so I think he needs to know. I think the defense, I would leave the defense intact. I, I, I think with a reasonable offense, this defense would be like a story of the ACC this year, honestly. And the offense is just so bad that no one can pay attention because like they're giving up 30 points. Yeah. Well, cause they're on the field that for like two thirds of the game and uh, the offense doesn't do anything with all of the opportunities that are presented by the defense. So I want to see Tony white, like do whatever you need to keep him. Um, and, and hopefully people are not like looking at the underlying stuff here. So he doesn't get poached, but do whatever you can there. Um, so I do think the three, three, five is going to start catching on. Cause like even Mississippi state's looking pretty good on defense now um, as bad as, or as up and down as they've been. Um, but yeah, do whatever you can to keep him and then like just find something like uh, so I, I just need something new in, on the offense and it can still be like generally what Babers likes to do. But he needs someone who has like fresh ideas um, to come in here and like figure out the best way to get this team to store points, because otherwise uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking for a new start in 2022. And hopefully, you know, I, I, I don't want that to be the case. I want Babers to succeed long term. So. Yeah, fun times. We're doing. We're all having great, great time with football. It's delightful. Um, <laughs> in any case, Dan, appreciate uh, your time today. As always, um, hopefully, brighter days ahead for Syracuse sports in one way or another. I also got excited for basketball talking tonight, uh, and also women's basketball, which we didn't bring up. It's going to be awesome. Like they're probably going to be our best team this year. Um, uh, so yeah, support them when they start up soon. Yeah, they're starting up soon. They're a top 25 team already. They're bringing back Tiana Magnacahia. They have a very, very stacked roster. I'm a top five recruiting class. Like Camilla not... Cardoso uh, dunked in practice the other day. I saw people joking with like Tiana on Twitter about her throwing lobs. I'm like, let's do that. CNY Lob City, perfect. Let's let's make this happen. <laughs> let's just like full full on uh, women's basketball version of, uh, of uh, what was the, the Will Ferrell movie? There were the Flint Tropics. Uh, Tropic yeah. Thunder is a very different movie. No, I know. Uh, <laughs> Why can't um, I remember this stupid movie? Oh, uh, damn it. Well, I'll, 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 I'll mention it after. It's like killing me now. Um, uh, semi-pro. No, there you go. Semi-pro. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave on that. Uh, <laughs> that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Great review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.